We're on the record. I'm Sheila Cass. Good morning. Nonverbal cues can reveal a lot about someone. A person's smile, their eyes, or their body language often provide a window into what they're really thinking or feeling. It turns out your laugh can reveal a lot too, and whether that chuckle is genuine or fake does not go unnoticed. So I say it's not guacamole, it's whack-a-mole. <laughs> he was at a carnival. <laughs> Wait, Sarah, you're fake laughing. No, I wasn't. That's how I laugh, see? <laughs> <laughs> okay, now you're all fake laughing. <laughs> Today is an encore of our conversation from August with Professor Sally Farley. She's taken a long look into laughter and has some surprising takeaways. Farley is professor of psychology at the University of Baltimore's College of Arts and Sciences, where she also directs the Helen P. Dennett Honors Program. I started by asking her what physically is happening when someone laughs. There's actually a lot going on during the production of production of laughter. Um, laughter is a propulsion of air. It's often a series of exhalations, but it involves contractions of the diaphragm, of the chest muscles, and the chest muscles push the air out of the lungs. Um, and laughter is often accompanied by smiling, which activates specific muscles in your face. Boy, that all sounds so unfunny. <laughs> Are there different kinds of laughter? So there are uh, a number of different typologies of laughter, but one common differentiation is between spontaneous laughter, which we would think is authentic or um, real laughter, and volitional laughter, which is purposeful or fake. Um, In addition to that, some other people have brought up the fact that not all laughter is positive, that some of it can be derisive in nature. So think about um, laughing to convey dominance over somebody else, or there's even a researcher that talks about laughter based on schadenfreude, the idea of laughing at the misfortune of other people. Here is a clip of chimpanzee laughter. (laughs) It's not only humans who laugh then. Correct, yes. So many animals laugh. Um, UCLA uh, researcher Greg Bryant recently did a comparative analysis and found that over 65 species laugh, including primates, dogs, squirrel monkeys, dolphins, parrots, elephants, rats, and even Australian magpies. Magpies, I think we we expect to laugh. Um, But do animals laugh for different reasons than humans? We the argument is that the the animals that laugh, the social species that laugh, that we have the same basic circuitry that they possess. And so our laughter has emerged from the pant like vocalizations that you would hear with chimpanzees when they laugh. What's behind the adage laughter is the best medicine? I mean specifically what chemically happens in somebody's body when they laugh. So there are a variety of positive uh, physiological effects when people laugh. Um, It reduces cortisol cortisol levels. Um, It triggers the release of endorphins. Um, It improves your mood. Um, But beyond this chemical, these chemical effects, there's a bonding effect. So there's research that suggests that when romantic partners laugh with one another, that they feel closer to one another, that there's a positive correlation between shared laughter and romantic relationships and how close they feel.
Is that only between romantic partners? So that's a good question. Um, the research that I was alluding to for that specific example um, it was, is the one that demonstrated that there is that positive correlation between shared laughter and the strength of the relationship among those couples. So I would imagine it would be true in general, but I just wanted to reference that specific study. But we think there's a health benefit in general Absolutely. to laughter. Absolutely, yes. This is On the Record. I'm Sheila Cast, speaking with University of Baltimore professor Sally Farley about how laughter is generated and different types of laughter. What role does laughter play in human interactions? I, I mean, is it only about humor? So it's actually largely not about humor. So one of Robert Provine, um, one of his early findings revealed that... Who is Robert Provine? Robert Provine is a University of UMBC professor that recently passed within the last couple of years. He did some extraordinary work, early work on laughter. And he revealed that the vast majority of what people laugh about is actually not funny. Huh. And the other point I would make about that is that... um, It's much more often for speakers to laugh than it is for listeners. So that clearly signals that this is not about humor appreciation. There's something more social going on with regard to to laughter. So more often it's the person who's been talking who then chuckles or does that person tend to laugh alone or does it tend to spark general laughter in the conversation? It it does tend to be reciprocal. Um, often when people laugh, especially when they like one another, the other person will laugh in kind. And if you were to ask them what they were laughing about, they wouldn't know because it's in response to something that is not funny. Uh, yeah, I, I totally understand. We sometimes just laugh in confusion and we sometimes laugh to put people at ease. Um, but I don't understand why a speaker, why it's a, a, a normal pattern for a speaker to laugh. I haven't noticed that. I haven't noticed that. It's because it's about you communicating to somebody else that you like them and that you want to engage in further interaction with them. So that's really what laughter is about. Laughter is about a signal of social affiliation and closeness, signaling that you like someone else. And that's what a speaker is doing when a speaker laughs. Yes. But is... is, But... Could that just be signaling that was funny? You should laugh, telling their partner, their conversation partner to laugh. It would be, except for that other work that shows that people are not laughing in response to humorous stimuli. So uh, we argue that um, most research suggests that it has an affiliative function so that we laugh more when we're in the presence of people that we get along with well. And kind of there's a default such that Laughter reciprocity or laughter contagion is common, but if you dislike someone, it's it's common for you to fail to reciprocate their laughter. So it actually communicates who's affiliated with whom. Am I right that that's part of how you yourself got interested in researching laughter? Yes, it is. It is. I There is a person that, with whom I work that I uh, am not terribly fond of um, when this person laughs, I, I'm much less likely to laugh, uh, yeah. regardless of how funny it is. I think I read something you wrote about being in a meeting, and you realized you were not responding in laughter the way other people in the room were when this person spoke. And when I read that, I thought, yeah, and I bet that person reads this and has no idea. <laughs> Let's Be- hope so. <laughs> because that kind of behavior in a meeting who knows why people are laughing or not? Exactly. But the contagion of laughter, what's be, what's behind that? So uh, the 
the fact that we tend to think that there's like an evolutionary, a biological underpinning of, of laughter is related to the fact that humans are profoundly social creatures and laughter might be one of those signals that we use to to, to communicate in-group status, that we are with other people, that we like other people, um, who the in-groups and the out-groups are. Professor Sally Farley is professor of psychology in the College of Arts and Sciences at the University of Baltimore. We're talking about laughter, where it comes from and what it can mean. We need to take a short break on the record. And when we're back, can your laugh reveal whether or not you're in love? I'm Sheila Cass. Stay with us. I was Welcome back to On the Record. I'm Sheila Cast. We're talking today about laughter. We heard what it can mean during human interactions and why hearing others laugh can make you laugh too, or not. In August, we spoke with Professor of Psychology Sally Farley of the University of Baltimore. She sent us a few examples from the laugh audio used in her research. In this clip, only seven seconds total, we will hear, in order, a laugh from a female talking with a friend, then a laugh from a female talking with a romantic interest, then a laugh as a male talks with a friend, and lastly, from a male talking with a romantic interest. (laughs) 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 Professor Farley picked up a lot from that seven seconds. I asked her to walk us through it to understand the question she was trying to answer. So we were trying to figure out, um, my previous work had shown that people, uh, when they're speaking with their romantic partners, alter or modulate the sound of their voices. And I was curious whether that thin slices approach of trying to find a teeny tiny bit of audio sample, if, if enough of that from just one or two seconds might be enough for people to make similar determinations. So we were curious about what might happen if we just played a single laugh for people, whether they would be able to identify whether the person had been speaking to a friend or romantic partner when they were laughing. So what did you discover? We found that people were surprisingly able to differentiate the friend samples and the romantic samples just based on one or two seconds of laughter. To what degree? I mean, how how firm were, were the listeners in figuring out what was going on and what they listened to? Sure. For uh, Chance would be operating at 50%, and in the first study, they operated at 57%. But in the third study that used a much larger sample of 252 people, um, people from across the world, five different cultures, were able to exceed Chance between um, 65 and 69% accuracy. So that's significantly more than guessing. They could actually pick up what was going on. What have you analyzed they were picking up on? I mean, what is it about the laughter in a romantic relationship? And this 
This is early in a romantic relationship? Yeah, so that's a great question, and it's something that we had to be careful in looking at when we were recruiting our uh, callers. People were required to be in a romantic relationship for less than a year. So we were looking at early-stage romantic love and thinking that the vulnerability associated with early-stage romantic love would potentially leak out into people's voices. The vulnerability would leak out into people's voices. What? How does that play out? What does that mean? So there's a lot of um, both positive and negative emotion in early-stage romantic love. There's a lot of ambiguity, a lot of nervousness. There's a lot of physiological intensity. And we thought my previous research indicated that people could make those judgments based on longer samples. But um, there's also something potentially unpleasant about Uh, how people speak with their romantic partners, that there's like a tentativeness that we suspected that people would pick up on. And that's indeed what we found. I hear you describe this, and it almost sounds like you're talking about fake laughter between romantic partners as they're getting to know each other. Right. So that's that's a great insight. And so what we argue is that the characteristics of uh, authentic or spontaneous laughter, which include that it's louder and there's more pitch variability um, and that it's less tense, it sounds more authentic, that that kind of laughter is more commonly produced among friendships than it is in romantic partners. With your romantic partner, you're still nervous about the state of the relationship and that potentially makes your voice sound more tense and uncomfortable. Actually, they rated those samples as less pleasant sounding. Yeah, what what were some of the descriptions listeners used to indicate they heard real or fake laughter? So it was tension, variability, uh, loudness, um, changing aspects like that. Is the laughter that was rated as less genuine, the laughter be- between new newly romantic partners, does it is that produced in a different way? than the genuine laughter of old friends? Yes. So we we think that there are two production systems. The one that we share with apes is kind of more of a core, um, it's a shared circuitry with all of these other social mammals. But as soon as humans developed the ability to articulate speech, um, they also developed the ability to modulate the sound of their laughter. So the second production system, the one that we think makes laughter potentially sound less fake or, or less genuine, is produced in this uh, the speech production system. So it's uh, produced in a different circuitry. And does that mean individuals have a different pitch or different characteristics? Uh, I mean, w- what I know, even if I didn't know the setting... That's not how Sally usually sounds when she laughs. Would I, would I know that? <laughs> uh, y- yes, I, I think we would be able to pick up on that. And so some of the differences that we included as measurements in our study were the things that differentiate the authentic and the volitional laughter, the real and the fake laughter. So there is a higher pitch when you are laughing with your friends. That's that's the more authentic kind of laughter. And if there's more variability. Um, and interestingly, if I can just go into a quick story, because how we became interested in this, I was in the car with uh, my friend, Susan Hughes, who I collaborated with on the first project a long time ago. She answered a telephone call. And when she did, after she got off the call, 
she's told the person she was she was busy and she couldn't she, could she talk to them later i said who was that you sounded completely different and it was revealed that this is somebody she was romantically interested in and so that's where we became interested in the idea that people might modulate or alter the way they sound when they're speaking with their romantic interests versus their friends have you done any research with old married couples who have been together a long time, are they more like friends or are they more like romantic partners? You are jumping to our future research right now. <laughs> so that's what we're hoping to hoping to look at in the future is my suspicion would be that couples that have been together for an extended period of time, that their laughter will sound much more authentic and, and similar to friend laughter than those of people who have been in early stage romantic love. I so want to hear about that research (laughs) when you do it. That's University of Baltimore professor Sally Farley on the record on WYPR. I'm Sheila Cast. We're talking about her research, looking at the differences between genuine and fake laughter and how it can be detected and what it reveals. Did the participants who were being recorded know you were focusing on laughter? No. In fact, the first study that I did that these samples were drawn from was a study um, where I was just looking at general conversational patterns. Uh, And so the participants thought that the study was about conversational style. And um, we didn't want people to be aware that we were looking at nonverbal changes as they were interacting with their friends and romantic partners because we know that it affects the way they behave. Well, I mean, yeah, can you ever do research on laughter if people know you're doing research on laughter? I don't think so. <laughs> I, th- I think it's going to be much more authentic and, and valid research if they're somewhat misled about the exact purpose of the study. How many participants had their conversations recorded? So there were 27 men and women who agreed to have calls directed both to a friend and a romantic partner um, recorded. So you're listening in on a conversation? No. So we had our participants uh, make telephone calls using their cellular phone. While they were in a private room, there was an audio recorder in the room while they made those calls. But you're only getting one side of the conversation. Exactly. How many people did you ask to listen for the authenticity? of those conversations. So we had three different studies. In the first study, we had 50 raters. In the second study, where we were looking at the cues with which that people were attending to to make these judgments, there were 58. And in the third study that was cross-cultural that had five different cultures, there were 252 participants. Cross-cultural, what cultures? We had uh, the United States, Poland, Portugal, Mexico, and India. We were hoping to try and ensure that these cultures differed on a number of significant dimensions. And did you pick up any differences in how they laugh? This wasn't about how they laughed. It was they were serving as the raiders. Oh, so we were trying, right? We were trying to determine if there were cross-cultural differences in their ability to make that friend versus romantic determination. Do you suspect there are? differences among ethnicities and and other backgrounds in how people use laughter? I wouldn't suspect that. So based on the the dual process model that I've kind of been alluding to that talks about us having the shared... shared brain circuitry among all these social mammals, signals that there's some sort of an evolutionary significance to it. So I would argue when you have evolved psychological characteristics, you see evidence of cross-cultural similarity with regard to those characteristics. So in other words, 
um, laughter tends to be interpreted the same way across culture. Both both my work and Greg Bryant's work has shown that across cultures, people are able to make some really interesting, fine-tuned differentiations of relationship status or affiliation status just based off of brief segments of laughter. Well, I've always kind of assumed, I guess, without the benefit of your actual research, that someone in in any language, in any culture, can pick up friendship, can pick up good intentions, can pick up a laugh means no threat here. I'm I'm on your I'm I'm with you. I'm on your side. But you found more nuances in in laughter, like between romantic partners, new romantic partners, and friends. That carries across cultural differences also? It does. And that's one of the things that we were really excited about with this research is that it propels the field a little bit further to show that even among affiliated groups, you have, you know, people are very close to their friends. They're very close to their romantic partners. They should both be really high in affiliation, but listeners are still able to make that determination. And um, I thought that was exciting. And also that um, there was cross-cultural similarity with regard to their ability to make those decisions. What is the goal of this research? Oh, I goals. I tend to be distracted by a lot of shiny objects, and I do research on a lot of interesting things. But um, uh, we're interested in figuring out first what laughter looks like among people who have been together for quite some time. But um, I also do research in any and many of the fascinating areas of nonverbal research. So um, I explore a lot of things. <laughs> well, in the laughter research. What is the most surprising thing you found? I think what's really surprising is that people are able to make this determination even when they don't think they're able to. So it replicates a lot of other work with brief exposures to stimuli, like looking at a picture of someone, being able to make some accurate determinations about personality, that you can just be exposed to two seconds of audio and learn the degree of uh, affiliation or the, the relationship status between two people. I think that's fascinating. Well, your work with new romantic partners is something about, or some of it at any rate, is related to trying to manipulate, trying to influence that partner, somebody trying to make a good impression. And the partner is willing to play that game, apparently, but a listener can pick up that it's not exactly sincere or it's not authentic, I think is the word you use. So does that carry over into other settings that people can pick up in a second, whether there's something inauthentic going on? That's a much more complicated question. I mean, I think in laughter, that's definitely true. And one of the things I wanted to highlight that I think is also fascinating is People, eva- people can figure out whether you're in love with this person that you're laughing with or not, but they also judge that laughter to be less pleasant sounding. So there's something that is disconcerting or uh, unattractive about how people sound <laughs> when they're in early stage romantic love. And I found that in my first study, and I also found it in this research as well. And that to me is completely surprising because I thought we all love couples in love. Right. <laughs> so you said you, part of what you want to research next is is older couples, long-term couples, what what their laughter sounds like. Beyond that, what research 
do you intend to do next in laughter? So I should have mentioned that I've done undertaken this work with two colleagues. One is Deborah Carson at the University of Baltimore, and one is uh, Susan Hughes at Albright College. And Deb had a fantastic idea recently about what if we played the the segments that we believe to be more authentic and the ones that we believe to be more fake in front of other people and gauge the extent to which they would reciprocate the laughter, right? So a lot of times when you hear laughter, it prompts you to laugh. Oh, yeah. But only when it's authentic. If you think it's fake, we would suspect that people would be less likely to reciprocate that laughter. So that might be a fun avenue of research. Oh, I hope you keep in touch with us on this research. Thank you for telling us about it. Absolutely. Sally Farley is a professor of psychology in the University of Baltimore's College of Arts and Sciences. She also directs the Helen P. Dennett Honors Program there. We've been talking about laughter, where it comes from, and what it means. We have more information about Farley's research at the other record page at wypr.org. I'm Sheila Cast. Glad you're with us on the record. Hope your day brings some spontaneous laughter. Laughter.